Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Sydney and the live stream. Looking forward to sharing God's Word with you today. We'll be in Luke chapter 8, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Um, so good to be able to meet, and uh, I guess online, and share the Word of God, and to proclaim His goodness to the world. And uh, may He give us ears to hear. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that you are holy and righteous, a deliverer and a savior, that we can come to you in times of trouble, that you are with us both in the storm and in the calm, that you are the one who, who loves us and who has done all things um, to give us life, to give us a hope, an expectation of a future, and seeing you face to face. We look forward to that day. O oh Lord, please minister to our hearts your word and fill us with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever been in a storm, like stormy weather, and you thought to yourself, we're in trouble? Now, that has rarely occurred to me, but it did happen shortly after my family and I moved to Australia. Um, it was about time for the boys to arrive at the bus stop and and uh, there were some threatening dark clouds overhead. And so I brought some umbrellas. I knew the boys didn't have them. And uh, right after the bus arrived, it's like the heavens opened, like there's rain dumping down, bucketing down, the lightning is splitting the sky, there's thunder booming right overhead. Within moments, all of our umbrellas were broken, and we just made a dash for home because the hail was pelting down. And uh, that, that was a memory where you're thinking, wow, th there is real power at work, and I am very small, and I need shelter. Um, think of the fires we've recently had in Sydney and the damaging floods, and thankfully many were spared, but you don't have to be caught in a storm or caught in a rip or buried under the rubble of an earthquake or been uh, in the basement when you hear the tornado rushing through the house like a freight train to experience trouble. We've had trouble when we've looked when you've looked into the eyes of a person where there were storm clouds in their eyes and they were angry and furious and uh, when careless words crushed your spirit or when you have experienced the shocking pain of abuse. Like we've had those situations in our lives and where we, we are facing forces that are out of control, out of our control, and we don't know what to do. And it seems an impossible situation. And to people in those places... In a world filled with trouble, Jesus said in John 14, 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And you can have all of your physical need met, needs met. You can have food, you can have a home, you can have transport and a career, but you can still have a troubled heart that only Jesus can save and heal. So those who place their faith in Christ, the storms still come but we have peace in the midst of them because our rest is found in Christ and who he is and all that he does for us. So we're going to begin in Luke 8, 22. The chapter began with Jesus traveling with his disciples. They were preaching the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Jesus was using parables in his teaching. He gave the parable of the sower, which is like a doorway to enter into truth. For those who want to know more, he explained to his curious disciples what each part of the parable meant the key parts anyway, we have the, the, the seed is the good word of God. The different soils, that was a very, the various hearers who heard the word and they responded differently. 
And the one who heard God's word and did God's word, that was the one who will be spiritually fruitful. The farmer sows seed for a harvest. And God has spoken his word so that we can understand it and we can do it, walk in it. No matter where we are in this life's journey, Jesus cautions us to take heed how we hear because our hearts can become hard. They can be shallow, choked with cares of this life or the pursuit of pleasure. So the question that as I was reading this passage came to mind is, how would you answer it? Are you at rest or are you restless? What control or impact does fear have over your life today? Fear may be the cause for us to frantically come to Christ, and it also can be a reason for us to push him away. But he's our only savior. We need him. And this passage will show us just that in Luke 8, starting at verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased. And there was a calm. Jesus climbed into a boat. He said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. At least four of Jesus' apostles were uh, previously experienced fishermen. I imagine the boat belonged to one of them. And they were familiar with the sea. The Sea of Galilee is the sea they were crossing, this freshwater lake, the largest in Israel. It's the lowest freshwater lake elevation-wise in the world. Uh, it's 21 kilometers long and 13 k's wide. In total, 166 square kilometers. And as they sailed over, it says two things happened. Jesus fell asleep and this massive windstorm kicked up. The water's slopping into the boat. It's beginning to fill. It's fast, filling faster than they could bail it out. And it says they were in legitimate peril. They were in danger. It reminds me a little of Jonah's experience, right? He's on that boat headed to Tarshish and there's this storm. He's sleeping through it and the crew is battling for their life. They're just panicked. And these panicked disciples, they wake Jesus up and they say, we're dead, like game over. And we think that trouble primarily comes to those who are disobedient to God or who have not obeyed him in some way. But the disciples, they were overwhelmed as they were obeying Jesus. They were in God's will. They were doing what he said. And yet trouble came. The storm came. Now they did the right thing in coming to Jesus, but we'll see. The issue was they came to him in fear for their lives rather than seeking him as their savior, as God, who he is. So what does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't start bailing water. He doesn't start barking out orders. He doesn't take charge of the situation through seamanship. He doesn't deal with the situation the way they were dealing with it. He just stood up and he rebuked the wind, the raging of the water, I love that Jesus is not impressed by the intensity of the storm. He simply rebukes it like a parent patiently telling their child to be quiet without the eye rolling or annoyance. And at the sound of the voice that spoke them into existence, the wind and the waves stopped. There was this calm. It was as if nothing had happened. Probably there was still a lot of water inside their boat. 
They were caught in powers beyond their control. Jesus proved that he was always in control, even when they thought he didn't care for them, even when they thought he didn't know what was going on. And the peace and rest that Jesus had in the storm, that can be ours, that can be yours when the wind is howling and the waves are out of control, when we look to him in faith. Luke 8, 25. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, how can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. After Jesus rebuked the wind and waves that were obedient to him, he turns to his disciples and he has a gentle rebuke for them. He just asks them, where is your faith? That storm, it provided them an opportunity to look to Jesus, to trust in him, to experience rest in the presence and power of God. But their panic and fear, it exposed a lack of faith in them. They ran to Jesus as their fearless leader, but not as their Lord, not as their creator, not as the God, the almighty God. And the situation suggests the faith of the, the disciples was in themselves, in the seaworthiness of their vessel, in their teamwork. But because they were overwhelmed and unable to do it themselves, they wanted an extra hand. They expected maybe Jesus to take up an oar or to help them deal with the situation their way. It, maybe they just wanted him to bail them out, literally. But Jesus went to the source of the problem. It wasn't the storm. It was the lack of faith in their heart. That was the, the issue that he was dealing with. And his rebuke of the storm, that the storm was obedient to him, it shows that he is more than man, that he is in fact God. So I ask, who is Jesus to you? Is he the Christ? Is he your savior? Does he exist like a parachute to just um, provide help when you need it for emergencies only? Is he a prophet? Is he a, a figure of his, a his, historical figure that some people for some reason still talk about? At the supernatural display of power, the disciples began to wonder and ask themselves, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? The word is like a good seed that when sown into a receptive heart will be fruitful. And the word of God, when he speaks, it affects dynamic transformational change right in real time here on earth. Now, it's really good for us to realize Jesus Christ did not come to change our circumstances for the better, to bail us out of trouble so we can live carefree in the folly common to all men. I've been reading through C.S. Lewis' book, The Problem of Pain, and he makes some good observations about the role of human beings as God's creation. He says, our role is one of response, not initiative, of patient to agent, female to male, mirror to light, echo to voice. And a problem that we naturally share with the disciples is our tendency to react to troubling circumstances out of fear rather than responding to a situation uh, with faith in Christ. Of all the international flights I have flown over the years, there was only one that I, one time I noticed any real nervousness in the crew. There was a lot of turbulence and they were strapping themselves in and looking a little um, ashen and a bit frightened about what was happening. So if I took visual cues from them, I could justify feeling afraid or being a bit nervous about what 
what was happening with the, the plane banging around and people screaming and um, children crying and the worrying faces, right? If you looked around you, you could feel a bit nervous because, all right, these people are the professionals and they are at the same mercy of the plane holding together, the proficiency of the pilot and, and that seatbelt holding them in, just like me. So they were powerless to, to save But I found peace when I looked to Jesus and I could reflect his control and his power over the situation and my life and my future. Because in him, I am secure and at rest. So brothers and sisters, are you focusing on what you're afraid of or are you pointing people to Jesus as the solution, as the savior? How are your words and concerns and the posts that you're making, how do they mirror your perspective to others? Whether you're promoting a controversy, you're pointing the finger at what's wrong, or are you promoting Christ, who he he is, and that he has things in hand, that we are at rest and calm in him because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Luke 8, 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him. And he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus and his disciples, they crossed over the sea, as Jesus had said they would, into the region of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee or modern-day Tiberias. Jesus, he steps onto land, and he's greeted by or accosted by this demon-possessed man who was in awful state. He's... uh, Naked, filthy, homeless. He's been taking shelter in the crypts, living among the dead. Luke, a writer of this gospel and a medical doctor, he explains the man suffered from unclean spirits for a long time. And the root cause of his malady was a spiritual one, not a mental illness. To this point, we've read of Jesus delivering people from demonic power, but this is the first time we have real details about what um, the afflicted looked like. Now, in Western culture today, the mention of demons is really nothing more than a cliche, kind of like, oh, he's battling his demons. But the people who say that may not really believe that there's a malevolent spiritual force with a personality at work in that person. The Queen's song, Bohemian Rhapsody, it talks about Beelzebub, Satan, having a devil set aside or a demon set aside for me or for him. In popular culture, we have shows and scenes. There's sensational moments that paint these violent or seductive caricatures of helpful or harmful demons that that are kind of controlled by amulets and charms and incantations. But just because Hollywood has maybe glamorized aspects of demonology or their sham fortune tellers or spiritists, it does not mean that demons are a farce. And demons are not unique to Christianity. There is widespread evidence for them and belief in them from antiquity. The Bible teaches that demons are created spiritual beings by God. 
like Satan, who are wicked and oppose God and the things of God. Angels have remained loyal to God while demons at some time past chose sin. And these demons, they're cursed by God and he has prepared everlasting fire and torment for them at the final judgment. In the meantime, evil spirits, they are allowed with God's consent and boundaries to engage with people, especially to those who open themselves up to them or invite them in. This raging man, he's really a, a case of, it's an extreme case of total possession where the demon was, or this, the, these demons were allowed to have uh, control over his actions. He had this uh, unnatural strength, uh, different voice speaking out from him. And uh, this had happened over many years. People can be subjected to demonic influence, oppression, ultimately possession. And the thought freaks out a lot of people like the idea of like those disciples on the stormy sea. But as we'll see, the most powerful, ferocious demonic beings, they're completely overcome by Jesus Christ because he is God. So this naked man, he sees Jesus, he shrieks, he runs toward him and he falls before him and he says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now it's ironic, right? The disciples say, Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves. They say, who can this be? And now he's encountering this demon possessed man who knows exactly who he is, singles him out as the son of God and falls before him, prostrate. Luke explains that at times this man had been guarded, chained, uh, shackled by people who wanted to control him, but he had this incredible strength as the demon manifested through him and this man was not free. He was not free. He was in bondage. He was enslaved to these spirits who controlled him. Now we see some symptoms of demon possession here. Um, clairvoyance, that's knowledge of information that could not have been previously known. Um, like speaking in a foreign language that you don't know. Uh, the voice of a person changing dramatically. Unnatural strength. Uh, violence. Uh, violent fits that the victim cannot remember. Those are some symptoms of demonic influence. I think Kurt Cook, who wrote a helpful book on the subject titled Occult Bondage and Deliverance, he points out the man's split personality, that he runs to Jesus, but he's afraid of him at the same time. The demon wanted to be left alone, wanted nothing to do with Christ. And this resistance is in all those who are oppressed by demons. They want nothing to do with Jesus because he is the judge of all the earth, of all spirits too. Luke 8, verse 30. Jesus asked him saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Jesus addressed the demon in the man, not because he was unaware or needed more information. And I also don't believe, I'm not convinced that this is a formula we have to follow as if Jesus' power over demons is hamstrung if he said the wrong words or didn't use the right name. 
Uh, but the man answered legion because many demons had injured him. And a Roman legion was about 6,000 men. So it doesn't say there was a legion worth of demons, but there were many in him. But even the great number of demons could not stand before or resist the almighty son of God they cowered before. And they begged him not to send them into the abyss, suggesting that if he did, they would have to. I mean, who's afraid here? Jesus isn't afraid. The demons were afraid of Jesus Christ. I like what David Guzik wrote in the Enduring Word Commentary. He says, according to the superstitions of the day, the onlookers probably felt that the unclean spirits had the upper hand. They knew and declared a full name of Jesus. They evaded his request for their name. They hoped to frighten Jesus with their large number, but Jesus didn't buy into these ancient superstitions at all and easily cast the unclean spirits out of the afflicted man. There was a herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to permit them to leave and enter them. I mean, isn't this interaction so different from the Hollywood scenes or perhaps, I don't know if you've, you've seen scenes maybe unfold in a church where the snarling demon only leaves when a Bible's pressed against the head or a crucifix is waved around and shouted. And um, in the presence of Jesus, the demons are saying, "Get, let us leave. We don't want to cause any we're in trouble. They were the ones saying, we're in trouble. They wanted to leave. Uh, child of God, we don't have to have any fear of demons whatsoever. When Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you don't need to worry about their networking. When you have Jesus Christ who is protecting you and helping you, he's the one that you seek and he's the one who will deal with these situations or these unfounded fears we may have. Um, because really, if we're fearing the Lord, all these other fears the fear of our future, the fear of our health and safety, those things dry up. They will flee away in the presence of God. Jesus permitted them to enter the pigs. All at once, the herd is agitated. They're stampeding, squealing down the cliff into the water and drowned. And this is another evidence of demonic possession where there's transference from one person to another uh, creature or person where you have a crazy man, he's suddenly in his right mind, and the pigs are crazy. And the murderous intention of the demons was seen in the pigs. It's like the grace of God preserved that man's life for all that time. He had been under the influence of these demons for a long time, but God had preserved him and kept him, even though he was in, he was in squalor, in a terrible state. Yet God protected him, God delivered him, God saved him. And only Jesus Christ, only he has the power to deliver souls from the power of demonic power and possession. After Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to the heavens. He gave Christians um, the empowerment to command evil spirits to leave in his name. And you can read every book on demonology you want. You can read examples of what to do or what to say, but only Jesus has the power to deliver. Knowledge alone does not give you the power to wrestle with the spiritual world, but it's Christ who has overcome the power of darkness. And there's a case in the book of Acts where some Jewish exorcists found out the hard way. We read about it in Acts 19 verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. 
And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So the sons of Sceva, they were jumped, overpowered, prevailed against, stripped, wounded, and they fled. Now, this is what happens when you take upon yourself to do the thing that only Jesus does through those who fear and trust him. I mean, what authority do we have without Jesus? None. Um, what is our authority compared to Christ? None. Knowing Jesus should not make us self-confident, but completely reliant upon him. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's, it's before whom? Before him we fear and bow. Mark, Jesus said in Mark 16.10 that those who believe will cast out demons. So you don't need to be clergy to be able to do that. But as we trust Jesus, may his name be magnified in the world. That being said, God has provided us medical professionals and there are some mental illnesses which can, in some place, show some similar symptoms. But uh, let's not think that if there's some medical condition, it must be spiritual. Uh, we have to have that balance. And the Lord, through his Holy Spirit and his word, he gives us that so those who saw the, the scene unfold, they, they heard the interaction with Jesus and the demon-possessed man. They saw their pigs run into the ocean, the, thing, the pigs that they were required and responsible over. And so they ran to tell everyone what had happened. Luke 8, 35. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also, who, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. So after they heard the witness of these pig keepers, um, who were undoubtedly familiar with the man, and who saw and heard the miraculous events, uh, people came from all over to see what had happened. And they found the man who had once been guarded and chained and shackled, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they rejoiced. No, they were afraid. They were shocked. The same Greek word is used for the disciples after Jesus calmed the storm and the people who saw the man sitting there in his right mind. He was sitting there healed and calm. And they were in awe and just staggered at what had happened. They had tried everything in their power to merely restrain the man and failed. But upon hearing how the man once possessed by demons was healed by Jesus, they were filled with amazement. They're like, wow, how can this be? And it says so great were the, was the fear of the people in the land that they begged Jesus to leave. They said, please depart from our shores. Isn't it ironic that they would guard and, and try to subdue a man demon-possessed, yet they would ask Jesus who healed him to leave? 
Without argument or debate, Jesus did as they asked. He climbed into the boat and returned to Galilee. But Luke gives us some more detail here in verse 38. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. The demons, they begged Jesus to allow them to go into the pigs. And the once demon-possessed man, he begged Jesus to go with him. Now, Jesus permitted the demons to go into the pigs, but he does what we do not expect if the man says, Jesus, I want to be bound to you. I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no. Jesus denied his request. He didn't want to leave Jesus who had shown him such love and grace and salvation and power to deliver him from the, the forces of darkness. Jesus said no because his personal presence was unwelcome in the region, but he sent the man back to his own house. And he says, tell what great things God has done for you. Isn't that cool? That Jesus is the one who had saved him and Jesus is God. What had Jesus done? The great things he did? Well, he crossed the Sea of Galilee. He braved a storm to seek and save this man who was lost and living among the dead. He was more like a beast than a man. He had, Jesus had compassion and delivered him from demons that were destroying his body and soul. Jesus clothed his nakedness. He allowed him to sit at his feet. He commissioned him. He sent him forth as his ambassador. It's like a whole new life opened up for a man who was living in, in squalor physically and spiritually. This man who was once demon-possessed, he wasn't turned into an angel, but something greater, a saint of the living God, a child of God through faith. So the man... He, delivered, he, he went his way. He obediently proclaimed, it says, not to his own house, but the whole city. He told everybody the great things that Jesus had done for him. And this demon-possessed man, he's the first missionary that we read of to the Gentiles. Jesus taught with parables to, speak, to teach spiritual truth, but he also used that storm to show that through faith in him, they could find rest for their souls and he cast legion out of the man to demonstrate his power, his authority, and divine nature. The, the disciples thought they were in trouble out there on the sea, and the demons knew they were in trouble when Jesus came. And after being asked by the whole multitude to leave, Jesus showed compassion on them by not taking that man with him. Instead, he sent him back to people who refused him, to people who had banished him so that they could hear the great things that Jesus had done and that they would believe in him and also receive that forgiveness of sins and new life that he has for all people through the gospel. I wonder, are we faithful like this man? He's healed. He's now in his right mind to proclaim in our houses online what great things Jesus has done for us. Jesus has saved us. He's washed us of our sins. He's clothed us with his righteousness. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. He's given us a home in heaven. He's made us his witness to others who want nothing to do with him so that when he returns, they will be looking for him. 
They will be waiting for him and welcoming him into their lives. Isn't that cool? Verse 40, so it was when Jesus returned, the multitude, that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. Isn't it cool that Jesus returned to people who had banished him from their shores, people who asked him to leave, people who said, Jesus, we don't want anything to do with you. He came back to them. And they were all waiting for him because the man that he had delivered was faithful to speak the things that Jesus had told him to. And it wasn't him alone. This is, this is more remarkable or as remarkable. I mean, how can you compare miracle with miracle? But it's as remarkable as Jesus calming the storm, as delivering the man from demons, that fearful people who asked Jesus to be out of their life were looking for him and waiting for him upon his return. Oh, may it be that many who walk the earth today, troubled and afraid, will look to Jesus upon his return. Turn to the words of Jesus spoken to his disciples in John 14, 1 through 3. And this is a passage that I began reading at the beginning of the message. These disciples were troubled at the thought of Jesus leaving them. He was about to go to the cross. They had just uh, had the Passover meal and... Um, this is what Jesus said to them. And it's so rele relevant for us today when we are in troubled times and when our hearts are troubled. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It was shortly after this where Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And a day is coming when Jesus will return, when he will receive believers to himself in an event called the rapture. The catching up the church to be with him, it's spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'll just read that 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 passage, starting in verse 16. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In troubled times, God has comfort for us. He has not left us alone. It's kind of like he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And in due time, he's going to be with us. He is coming for us. And we might prefer to be where Jesus is right now. We want to escape this world cursed with sin. We want to leave demons and the, the filth of, of this world behind. But you know, Jesus has delivered us from the power of Satan. He has given us a commission and a purpose we can fulfill right now. This opportunity of proclaiming his greatness to all we see. So people who have banished Jesus from their lives, the, the very people who don't want to hear, didn't want Jesus to be around them, he was proclaimed and believed on and received and welcomed. And Jesus following on in the same passage uh, in John 14, 25 said, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to fill the hearts of all those who trust in him, being born again by grace through faith in Christ. And God helps us to do this work of proclaiming to those around us the great things that Jesus has done. Jesus has given us his peace not as the world gives. The world can give something um, and, and renege on that gift. Uh, things of this world, they can be forgotten, stolen, lost, broken. But Jesus gives us his peace as a testimony to others in trouble and in troubling times. I think, how about looking unto Jesus and welcoming him into your life today? You may have rage against God. You may be angry about the things he has allowed. The, the situations of your life can be like a storming sea. Your bondage to sin uh, is impossible for you to break. But what's impossible with men is possible with God. Because Jesus is the almighty God who speaks to the wind and the waves and they become calm. He doesn't bail us out in the way we want him to, but he gives us what we need and he exposes our need to trust him, to place our faith in him when we have those fears and cares that weigh us down. In the storm, we can cry out to him. And when we're overwhelmed, he is the rock of salvation. He is our redeemer, our refuge. All that's been created in heaven and earth will bow before Christ. If, if the thought of demons frightens or, or uh, overcomes you, think about those, that legion that just bowed before Christ, confessed him, and wanted to leave because of his great authority and power. May our lives be a testimony of God's power, not of uh, fear and worry, but of renewal, being in a right mind, trusting him, proclaiming his faithness and power, the great things he has done for us. So, believer, where is your faith? Is it in the Lord or someplace else? And as we rest in our Savior, may our lives be a glorious proclamation of God's goodness so that people who have really banished Christ from their lives will welcome him and be looking for him. And let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you are our savior. Lord, your power is beyond comprehension and your goodness infinite. Your love is continual and active in our lives. And we are so grateful that you have redeemed us, that we, like that man, were just good as dead in sins. And yet you have redeemed us. You have forgiven us. And thank you that you've given us good works to enter into. Thank you for your faithfulness to us and your grace. Lord, your grace for the, the townsfolk that, that sent away Jesus, who were afraid and didn't want to hear anymore. Lord, you sent someone to speak to them. And you've sent us, Lord, that we might speak to a world who, who would rather never hear of you again. Thank you, Lord, that we can speak with you that we can hear your voice, 
that we can respond to the promptings of your spirit, and that we can be enabled and empowered by you to do good in this world, that we can let your light shine so that other people will see and know that you are God and holy and righteous. And may our lives exude faith and increase our faith, Lord, in these troubling times. And may we not be troubled along with them, but to give glory and honor to you, our God and King, the Most High. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.